This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Hello, and welcome to Daily Drive. It's Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. Carvana is up on blocks in Illinois. Stellantis backs off supplier contracts. AutoWeb faces a questionable future. And a Tesla hack that doesn't only work on Teslas. Plus, we'll go behind the numbers of the buy-sell bonanza a little later. First, let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Carvana hit another speed bump, this time in Illinois, where the state has temporarily blocked its dealer license. A spokesman for the Secretary of State's office said the company failed to properly transfer titles for vehicles it sold and misused out-of-state temporary registration permits. The Secretary of State's police department opened an investigation into consumer complaints about Carvana in February. The spokesman said it's looking at about 90 signed complaints. Carvana said it strongly disagrees with the state's view of the facts and the law. Carvana stock topped $370 a share last year after it reported its first quarterly profit. It has since fallen 90%, and last week the company eliminated 2,500 jobs. Earlier this year, Stellantis upset its suppliers with new contract terms that demanded that price reductions in raw materials be passed along to the automaker, while price increases be absorbed by the supplier. Now, it's reversed course. The maker of Jeep, Ram, and Peugeot vehicles told suppliers in a letter Monday that it will revert to 2021 terms and conditions retroactive to January 1st. A copy of the letter was obtained by Crane's Detroit Business, an affiliate of Automotive News. The reversal is a victory for suppliers, which has suffered the most amid inconsistent production schedules, while automakers and dealers thrive in the pandemic economy. Stellantis racked up almost $44 billion in first quarter revenue, a 12% jump from a year earlier. The move comes less than a week after Stellantis named Maxime Picot, the head of its enlarged Europe region, as head of purchasing and supply chain. He replaced Michelle Wen, who has left the automaker. Also, another company is disclosing substantial doubt about its ability to continue as a going concern. Dealership marketing company AutoWeb says its board will explore strategic alternatives for the company, including a potential sale or restructuring in light of its declining cash position. The Tampa, Florida-based company said Monday that a special board committee will evaluate strategic alternatives, including obtaining new debt or equity funding, selling the company or assets, and restructuring, including through federal bankruptcy protection. CEO Jared Rowe said in a statement that AutoWeb is suspending its CarZeus used vehicle acquisition business and furloughing employees within that business, citing the company's financial constraints. AutoWeb acquired the assets of CarZeus back in July 2021, 10 months ago. The unit buys vehicles from consumers and sells them in the wholesale market. In a call with analysts, Rowe cited macroeconomic headwinds, including rising interest rates, inflationary pressure, and declining consumer sentiment for its worsening liquidity. And from the Troubles with Technology Department, 
A hack effective on Tesla's Model S and Model Y would allow a thief to unlock a vehicle, start the electric motor, and speed away. That's according to Sultan Kasim Khan, principal security consultant at the Manchester, UK-based security firm NCC Group. By redirecting communications between a car owner's mobile phone, or key fob, and the car, outsiders can fool the entry system into thinking the owner is located physically near the vehicle. Khan said the hack isn't unique to Tesla. NCC Group said it has been able to conduct the attack on several other car makers and technology companies' devices. The trick involves tinkering with Tesla's keyless entry system, which relies on what's known as a Bluetooth low-energy protocol. The protocol was designed to conveniently connect devices over the internet, but Khan said that it's also emerged as a method for hackers to exploit and unlock smart technologies, including house locks, phones, and laptops. And that's the news you need to know. Coming up, going behind the numbers of dealership consolidation with the reporters who tracked down all the details after the break. Listen to Fred Hayes, service manager at Temecula Valley Buick GMC, and Philip Candido, fixed operations director Talk about their experience with GoMoto in their service drive. Before GoMoto, the backups in the service lane were due to not being able to get to the customer in a, in a timely manner. There's times where menus are passed over where the advisor forgets to tell them, hey, it needs its major service. And now with the GoMoto, customers are presented with a maintenance package every time. The time freed up from not having the customer sitting in front of them every single time they come in. It helps them be more efficient. It helps them focus more on the customer's concern and the, the maintenance and service of the vehicle. Before GoMoto, we would average approximately 130000 in service gross. The kiosk in the service drive doubled the gross profit in the dealership. It's amazing. 100%. Using the GoMoto kiosk makes the dealership more profitable. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency just like Temecula Valley? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O.com. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters. This week, Automotive News is looking closely at the buy-sell market, mergers and acquisitions in automotive retail. Melissa Burden and Jack Walsworth from the Automotive News retail team, with a little help from their friends, confirmed the details of every buy-sell deal they could find last year. Having examined every tree, I asked them to step back and describe the forest. Why the surge in fourth quarter deals? What is the role of public dealership groups? Why did so many dealerships in Texas change hands? For these answers and more, I asked Melissa and Jack to join me today. Melissa Burden and Jack Walsworth, welcome to Daily Drive. Hi, Jamie. Jamie, thanks. So we had a, uh, you just did this big package, comprehensive look at the uh, buy-sell market and particularly the, uh, all the transactions you were able to track from 2021. One thing that really stood out to me, and it, of course it was a huge year for buy-sells all through the year, but in particular the, the fourth quarter had such a surge. Is there, is there any particular reason behind that? Yeah, thanks Jamie for having us on. Um, we've been tracking this pretty extensively over the past year plus, and 
found there was a very large surge, um, as you said, of transactions in the fourth quarter. Um, we've counted more than 150, actually, um, in 300, more than 300 rooftops that traded hands. And what led to that, you know, was couple things. Um, one, dealers generally, um, you know, we've been told by many that they like to get their transactions done by the end of the year for tax planning purposes, um, you know, and as well as just for their, their current tax year to have that information and have those transactions done. Um, and secondly, there was a lot of chatter last year about capital gains taxes. Um, there was there was worry that there was going to be a pretty large spike in the tax rate um, in 2022. So a lot of dealers um, in the middle of the year kind of decided that they wanted to take they wanted to take advantage of the lower what they thought was going to be a lower tax rate this in 2021, um, and actually put their dealerships you know on the market and actually um, had plans to sell them by the end of the year. And some of that did not materialize. Obviously, there there hasn't been that, that big spike this year in the capital gains tax that some had talked about. But a lot of those deals were already in, in process, and they decided to, to sell last year. Um, Another reason, real quick, is you know just that they had um, the pricing that dealers were able to get for their stores was was much elevated, higher than really it had been at that point, and so a lot of dealers that were of age of retirement decided they wanted to take advantage of that. Yeah, it's uh, it's a financial decision, it's a business decision, but it's also a very personal decision. Uh, so I'm sure once somebody commits themselves. Even if part of it's because of a, a hypothetical tax change that doesn't come to pass, once you're committed, you're you're in, and, and it's going to happen. So uh, it was really interesting, uh, amazing to see almost half the deals, almost half of the franchises that changed hands, all happening in just that fourth quarter. Uh, Jack, I wanted to ask you about the public dealerships. Uh, they made such a had such a big impact on the market. Nine, more than $9.5 billion in acquisitions last year. This is kind of a mind-blowing number. Uh, it certainly make a big splash. Um, what was going on there? Yeah, it was just um, it's one of those things. Lindsay and Asperger were the only two publics to make an acquisition in 2020. Uh, last year, uh, each of the six majors made, made a deal. Um, but really, I think a lot of it goes to Lithia. They've been very open that they want to uh, grow their uh, dealership footprint account across the country. And uh, they've been sticking to that. And uh, in April, they bought uh, the Suburban Collection here in Metro Detroit, uh, which was 34 dealerships. So that really, uh, pretty early on into the year, that was kind of really a, a sign of things to come uh, with some of the other publics also making large acquisitions or mega deals, as we referred to them. Mm -hmm. um, so later in September, so quite a bit later that year, um, Sonic Group One and Apart and um, Asbury all announced pending deals for, for mega deals. And uh, it was pretty much a three-week stretch in September where we did announcements that these were coming. It's, it's kind of like uh, when it rains, it pours. But um, yeah, just they kept getting bigger. And the Asbury one uh, was the biggest of the bunch uh, with the acquisition of Larry H. Miller. So yeah, it was very aggressive, a lot of money spent. And uh, you know, really throughout the country, Group 1 going to the Northeast with the uh, pretty much bought everywhere, including the Southeast, but they only have much of a presence in the Midwest. Um, and then Asbury kind of going out west, and Sonic pretty much going uh, for Midwest and Western states with RFJs. So yeah, definitely a, 
a lot of activity from the public, so that a huge reason as to why the numbers this year in terms of by sales were so elevated. Well, and especially those two, right? Lithia and Asbury. Lithia, Brian DeBoer says, I'm going to, you know, double the business. We're going to, or quadruple the business. <laughs> We're going to get huge and be clearly had eyes on being a national brand and w being able to do digital retail nationally. But then it was Asbury last year with the Park Place deal, sort of the first billion dollar deal in a long time that ended up getting retooled a bit. But yeah, then we saw then Lithia back with Suburban and Asbury again later with uh, Larry. It was just a, they've both been, it's fast and furious. And interesting enough, uh, the final tally, uh, Lithia acquired 67 U.S. Dealerships and Asbury acquired 65, so it's almost uh, you know, it's almost a tie. Could have got much closer than, than that. Yeah, for sure, neck and neck, and well ahead of everyone else. What were you going to say, Melissa? We saw, you know, pretty much all of them just kind of geared, went into high gear with acquisitions. I think a lot of them were fueled by Lithia and saw that, you know, their stock price was, was you know, showing some signs that investors were happy with, with that acquisition strategy. So we started to see as the year went on, even a few of the other other publics um, that didn't maybe make as many acquisitions. We saw AutoNation with a couple of you know fairly sizable deals. Um, not not the mega deals, but they each had nine and eleven stores. Um, so it was interesting to see that throughout the year. Um, we've seen that you know continue a little bit into to this year as well. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice that the top five acquirers were all uh, public public groups. Of course, they have the they have the resources. Uh, one of the things I was curious about, uh, we had a, a really cool map online and in the paper about all the states and how many transactions were in each, how many dealerships changed hands. And it's, of course, it pretty much tracks, you know, the biggest auto markets are the ones with the most dealerships and with the most transactions. But Texas being number one, I thought it was interesting, and partly it reminded me, Melissa, of a story you wrote uh, a few months ago about uh, Canadian dealers investing in, in the U.S., um, and some of those deals were in Texas. I guess I, I think of Texas having a, maybe a lot of uh, domestic brand stores, maybe that are you know, loan stores that need a, need a home. <laughs> Yeah, we did see that. Um, that was, uh, I think the story you're referencing was when Steel Automotive uh, Group in, in Canada um, purchased a couple of stores to expand their footprint in Texas. Um, we've had a number of, of deal, so a number of dealers, uh, brokers, pretty much anyone you talk to will tell you Texas is one of the states on their list. Um, you know, they like the favorable tax environment, the warmer weather. Um, there's a lot of a lot of population growth in a lot of cities in Texas. Um, so it's been very popular. Um, Texas, we counted, had 34 transactions last year. Um, second uh, was California, which again are two bigger states um, in terms of number of dealerships as well as population. So interesting um, to see though, you know, we had, we counted transactions in all but two states last year um, and there may have been transactions in those states. We just didn't have the data for it, but um, it was definitely uh, interesting to see some of the states, um, you know, rise on that list that maybe weren't in those top, um, the top states you're talking about. But the map is a really cool feature for anyone that wants to, to play around and, you know, check on what happened in their state. Now, you make a really good point about Texas, not only that 
the tax tax environment, but also uh, to be growing, you know, gr- gaining population really faster than than most of the rest of the country. And some people do like warm weather, so that's uh, makes a makes a real good point. Uh, we're getting close to the end. We're about to wrap up, but I guess I wanted to. You two have spent so much time, <laughs> uh, so many months covering all this. I'm, I'm curious just kind of what your thoughts are as you look back over this past year and all the deals that you've been tracking. What's your takeaway? What do you come away with from, what do you come away from with all this? I guess uh, for me, the big thing was like, if, if I was someone that was looking to sell a dealership, I it seems like the ideal time to do it because apparently there's a lot of people out there that want to buy your store. Um, and it is interesting to see how some tell the, some people decide to make that plunge and sell off, and some clearly have held on to the you know, to the assets. So that that dynamic of you know when when to sell, when not to sell, is, seems very interesting as the number of transactions can, continues to speed along. I would say you know aside from the publics, which we saw this you know this soaring um, activity last year. I mean, there were a lot of smaller, uh, maybe mid-sized groups, and even smaller players that really went out and acquired a lot last year and are definitely active this year. Um, so I would just say that, you know, I think the the thinking that this dealership consolidation is going to continue to happen, um, we're not seeing any real let up at all in terms of activity this year. Um, we've already counted, you know, even just in the first quarter, at least 70 some transactions, um, which we know there probably are still a few more that we don't know about yet. So that's really really about the same pacing we saw for many of the quarters last year um, before that fourth quarter surge. Um, But I would just say that I think we're going to continue to see these maybe medium-sized groups, maybe groups with like 20, 30 stores continue to acquire and they want to be, you know, sizable players with the public auto retailers. Interesting competitive dynamics. Melissa Burden, Buy Sell Editor, Jack Walsworth, Buy Sell Reporter. Thank you both for your time. Thanks for this terrific package. Thank you. Thanks, Jamie. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. You can get the latest news on the retail market, M&A, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Thanks to Nathan Kadick for editing today's show. Thanks to the Automotive News Multimedia Team and web editor Victor Galvan for their help. And thanks to you for listening and making the show part of your daily routine. Now, let's all get back to work.